gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds world stops turning ashes where the body's burning no more war pigs of the power and as God has struck the hour day a 
of judgment God is calling Underneath the war pigs crawling Begging mercies for the sins Satan laughing spreads his wings Welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It is June 17th, 2016. It's been a pretty shitty week. I say that every week. It's it's no surprise if you listen to the show. I say, oh, it's, it's been a heavy week this week, and uh, this, of course, is no different. Uh, more violence in the world. There's, there's always violence happening. Uh, there's physical violence. There's emotional violence. That seems to be a constant in this world. And there's some that we're more aware of than others, and some seems to happen at very particular moments and depending on the coverage and depending on how people want to spin it or talk about it, um, sometimes people are made aware. And then there are people who maybe are aware and refuse to really do anything about it or go about their day, which is extremely problematic and I feel a huge part of the problem. So open up the show with uh, War Pigs by Black Sabbath and there is a petition uh, being circulated to get that to be our new national anthem since this country seems hell-bent on starting wars 
and I feel like that's a direct contribution to the massacre that happened in Orlando. When we live in a country that spends so much money and so much time and energy funding the military and funding military weapons and using weapons as a means of communication and of domination, it should come as no surprise that citizens decide to go that route as well to express their difficulties of being alive and their confusions. And there's also homophobia is a huge part of this and transphobia. And that's something that um, some folks are talking about, other folks not so much. There are some people in Congress who I have very little respect for who refuse to even acknowledge that it was a homophobic attack. And there's also folks who want to blame Islamoph- who use Islamophobia for this, which is extremely problematic. Um, and that, of course, is not the incentive behind the attack. And it's also that I feel is kind of does not even begin to look at how fundamentalist Christianity or any kind of fundamentalist religion um, contributes to the homophobia that happens. And that can be, you know, parents asking a child to leave the house. That can be brainwashing at church. Uh, And there's a lot of hate speech. So for folks to automatically assume that this has something to do with, with Islam is really problematic. And if anything, just kind of reinforces the idea of war and reinforces the idea of us versus them. And also, furthering on, there's this idea of the of the police. And interestingly enough, the the shooter, who I mean, I, I like the idea of talking about the 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 victims and the survivors of this case instead of putting so much attention on this one person who caused the massacre. And I'll be doing that a little bit later on in the program, speaking from folks who are more directly um, impacted by this attack, um, including the, the the Latinx community and people of color who are constantly face violence. There's homophobia, there's transphobia, and there's sexism, and there's also uh, the white supremacy. And when there are folks who are affected by the intersectionality of people's uh, behaviors, uh, there are particular communities that are more directly impacted by this, and a lot of the media has kind of not bothered to really either cover this or even think about it or discuss this at all, which I think is also problematic. So I will be playing some interviews with uh, trans and queer Latinx activists uh, later on in the program to to hear from them. Whew. So um, my, uh, I forget where I was going with that. I have been feeling very angry and there's some other, other points. Oh yeah, the police thing. So there's, uh, not, I, I will say this one more thing about the shooter, and that will be it for the rest of the program. There are pictures of him, and he was wearing an NYPD shirt, and he wanted to be a police officer. And it's interesting how the media narrative doesn't seem to focus on that, how here's someone who wants to be who wanted to be a police officer and was working in a security firm, as and instead decides to really pump up or, or talk a lot about his religion or so-called ties to uh, Daesh. Um, so interesting how the media chooses to play this <sighs> men with guns not a fan not a fan at all so that's that's how i will will leave it for that part and then there's it's been affecting a lot of my friends like my entire facebook feed has been a lot of folks writing very long posts um folks um sometimes acknowledging their privilege even within the lgbt community because some of us uh face attacks that are uh, varying degrees and I, I consider myself to be a very privileged uh, member of the LGBT community um, just based on how my body appears and how I can travel through the world. And even as someone who happens to be transgender, I still feel um, based on uh, my like skin privilege, I can walk through the world and face less danger and attacks 
than than many folks and i recognize that and within that i still feel much anger and much grief and fear certainly and this is something that a lot of queer folks feel on a regular basis this is not in a way yes this is very shocking this attack was very shocking and it's also many of us most of us i don't know a single person who I've spoken to, and I've met a lot of um, LGBTQ identified folks in my life, a lot of them. I have not met a single person who has not experienced some form of homophobia, transphobia in their life, whether it be from family, from work, from school, just out on the street, from law enforcement. This is something that people experience on a daily basis. And I think the reason why uh, this, this shooting is people are getting so I mean everyone's upset and there's definitely a reason to be upset about it is that this is just one representation of what people experience on a very daily basis and it may not seem as um, big in a way as what happened but this is something that people experience on a on a daily basis of feeling afraid and that could just be holding your partner's hand or kissing in public these are things that a lot of people take for granted if you don't if you've never experienced it if you've never like walking down the street and been called a name just based on who you're with or maybe how you look or how you identify then one might not necessarily recognize how difficult it is to be out and queer in this world or not even out and queer but just to be queer in this world and i think that's why a lot of people decide not to be out is for safety reasons and there's also you know with with queer youth with people being thrown out by their families or being forced to go to like gay therapy you know the reparative therapy where people have to are forced against their will pretty much as youth to go in and deny they're told to deny who they are which i think is child abuse and that continues to happen so there's like abuse and attacks on the queer community on many levels. There's still many bills in Congress um, attacking LGBTQ citizens, and some f- some laws have still not been um, lifted in terms of uh, rights to adopt, rights not to be fired for being gay, um, rights to access to health care. Uh, so it goes way beyond the whole marriage thing. And again, it's this idea like, uh, what good is marriage if you can't even live a basic life? Then I'm not even going to even go into the whole incarceration and uh, with uh, immigration and deportations and all of that and how that also affects uh, queer folks. So here's a community that is regularly targeted um, by law enforcement, by governments, by people walking on the street, even people who don't say anything and don't stand up against the homophobia, I feel is part of the problem. So I do feel very angry, and I've been finding ways to try to express this. This has always been, I've always felt like I've kind of tapped into my anger, and I feel like it's a righteous anger. It's an absolute righteous anger. There's a lot of injustice, not just for my own experiences, but for my friends' experiences, for people I've never met, for their experiences, and this goes all across the board, just people being treated differently based on their bodies they've been born into. And the fact that we can't live safely in this world is a it's a shame. So I feel a lot of anger and I try to find ways to deal with it. Um, part of this, the show can be cathartic in a way I'm able to talk about it. Therapy helps working out helps art definitely helps. And I'm happen to be in a, in a play that's uh, opening and it's called queer as fuck. And we'll be talking with uh, Alan, who's one of the producers of the, the show later on in the program. So excited to have him on board. And the role I happen to play is a trans person who happens to be angry because um, they've experienced some discrimination in a way or some mistreatment. And the note I've been getting from my director is that I come across as too angry, which I think is very interesting. And it's uh, it's funny how, and I, I totally get where he's coming from, and it's also this idea that uh, if I can't even, even if my, my anger is even too much for a, a play where one can 
hopefully, you know, they can assume, one could assume that one could express their emotions in a theatrical form. It's a safe place. And even there, I'm kind of tipping the scales a little bit and going a little bit overboard. And for me, it doesn't feel overboard. It's really just what's in me. And I've noticed um, in the past week, I've definitely been feeling more on edge than usual. And I find ways to try to calm myself and to deal with this. And there's a lot of rage that has always been there. And again, it comes not just from my own personal experiences, but from what I've heard my friends go through, um, from people I've never met, and also just from the history. And something that people don't seem to recognize, some people don't seem to recognize, is that the first gay pride was a riot. It was people who were being attacked by cops um, which happened here, like there's Compton Cafeteria here, there's uh, Stonewall in New York. There have been many experiences where people, LGBTQ folks, were fighting against law enforcement. And this has just been a history, and it's not been taught. We've also lost a whole generation, in, starting in the 1980s, certainly. Um, so there are folks, there are thousands of folks who should still be here with us who would have shared their stories and they're not here. And there's also the folks who spent their lives taking care of those folks who who, who were sick and who, who passed. So we're missing a lot of history. We're missing um, elders in our community that ideally should be here and could be and would have had careers as artists and teachers and doctors and even politicians and folks who would have really changed the scope of how things are right now had, I feel, had the AIDS crisis not happened and or had it been addressed, actually had it been addressed and had activists not had to come, kind of come in, the community kind of had to save itself. And now there are so many stories that are not being heard. And last night I went to, uh, there's Fresh Meat, uh, which is a trans and queer performance series that happens yearly. It's incredible, and I highly recommend folks check it out. And uh, Sean Dorsey Dance, which is an incredible dance troupe, they have a piece uh, dealing specifically with the, the lost generation and this idea of what it was like for folks to care for their friends and to see their friends die and go to be going to funerals on a on a weekly basis, if not more, and to lose so many people and what that's like. And then to on top of that, not feel like their stories have been told. And what is that even like? I can't even fathom that. Like, I've lost a few friends in the past few years, and that's been devastating, and it's definitely taken a hit on me, and I can't imagine on a grander scale what that would be like. Um, and then on top of that, the, all the homophobia and transphobia that the government kind of just fostered that th the flames of uh, homophobia dealt with in terms of like the HIV crisis. So as a young queer person, and I feel like I'm not as young as I was before, but I'm wondering for these young folks who maybe are coming about now, um, the folks who are excited about marriage, but maybe not having an idea of the sense of history, but in the sense of like the violence, and the violence still happens in this country, and it happens elsewhere. And I hate the idea that we're going to go and you know free people in other countries. I don't know by like drone attacks. I don't know how that's supposed to help people. But there's this idea, the, this rhetoric that oh we need to go free other people. Meanwhile, there's plenty of attacks happening here that are based on homophobia and based on transphobia and misogyny and white supremacy that happen very here in this country, here in, even in this city in San Francisco, and to stay calm about it, I can't stay calm, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me, um, to be aware of it is exhausting, and so many of us are so exhausted, and the very, there's a lot, there's some articles going around, like, what to do for your, your queer friends going through this tragedy, and there's some, it's, the silence is deafening, to be quite honest, I've, there's some people in my life who have reached out, and I really appreciate that, and there's a lot of folks who haven't. And I wonder why that is. I really do, because it goes beyond just, this is like an everyday thing. Uh, the, the battles that queer folks face, it's like an everyday thing. 
And the very least folks can do is at least step up and acknowledge that what's happening is it's not an isolated incident and it needs to be addressed. And this, and I have definitely am very skeptical of the government. That's, there's no, that's no secret. Uh, there's pressure needs to be placed everywhere though. Absolutely everywhere. I have absolutely no respect for the folks. And, uh, there's some Republicans who refuse to even deal with the whole gun control. Like there are the Democrats who went the filibuster, which is great. And it's still not enough. And the Republicans still, you know, are refusing to do much about it. And they're also refusing to lift any like LGBTQ restrictions that they have on the books and enforce any protections, simply being protected to get housing, to get a job, anything like that. And these are still people. That's probably my biggest pet peeve. It's a very minor word for it are folks in positions of power who abuse their authority and make life worse for everyone else uh i think that's just disgusting that behavior is so disgusting and we all have our own biases we're all you know imperfect our own way but if you're an elected official and you're actively causing harm to people especially marginalized communities uh i have so much anger that's where i want to dedicate my anger towards uh, because it's coming from It's coming from elected officials. It's coming from even religious leaders. There are some people who have uh, obscenely even supported the the killing. And if you're in a position of power and people are listening to you, you damn well better preach love. And maybe I sound like a hypocrite because people are listening to me and here I am coming across as angry. And I'm angry at these other folks who are preaching hate. And... I, I don't know. There's so much hurt that I don't know how to really convey that in a way that's not angry and not wanting to cause these people grief because there is so much hurt. And when they're coming from a very privileged position, though, I have very little respect for them. And I'm wondering what else can be done because uh, what's, be, what's happened is, is frankly not enough. On that note, I'm joined here. <laughs> by the lovely uh bonnie johns bonnie thank you so much for for coming good morning. in good morning yeah good if you want to be with you roman oh thank you so much and we've we've been talking uh throughout the the week about this yeah yeah and i know we both really get how how much um uh how strong these energies are and and really wanting to be a part of of making a positive impact and finding wanting to find ways to do do that yes um so you invited me on because i i uh came up with this song and i don't remember the circumstances now yes um, but it was uh, the the song went. Uh, There's a rage down in my heart. Yes. You can't see me. You can't see me. There's a rage down in my heart. You can't see. Yes. And I think the thing is that that uh, you know even the shooter, there there is that rage and it's almost like explosive through the body. Yeah. They end up uh, in ignorance. Um, a. a turning to bigotry, attacking certain folks, you know, and uh, we, ha- we have to find a way of, of transforming that anger and that fear that's so 
uh, so ties us in a knot and be makes us so uh, apt to attack and just in crazy manners. And the, and then there are the powers that be that can use that, yeah, know, use it for their own agendas. Yep, and they do. And they do. So with that note, <laughs> uh, I recently sort of combined this with my highest um, highest consciousness or, or striving for the highest consciousness of love. Yeah. Um, uh, the... Uh, the Satguru, that merciful one, who's also just, um, but is, is an unconditional love. So I kind of combined this with Om Namo Gurudev Namo. Okay.
Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you. All right. I'm going to play some clips for some folks who have been uh, interviewed, and then we'll be back with some more news and some more music. because we people of color have a history in the US of never mattering. We have a history of enslavement. We have a history of exploitation. We have a history of criminalization. We have a history of violence. And that is what happened today. This attack was years in the making and based off of hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression and violence targeted towards queer and trans people of color. The media will use labels like terrorism and, and other things to get us away from understanding how our culture and institutions like the media, like education, like prisons, have actually been complicit in this attack and are complicit in the ways that our bodies are put at risk every single day, both inside of our homes and out in public space, such as in the streets. We as queer and trans Latinx people need to see what happened in Orlando as a reminder that our human dignity, our lives are connected to the liberation of black people, of Muslim people, of women, of trans people. And so we cannot move forward without working with these communities to end white supremacy, patriarchy. And then when we say Latinx, we mean, and it includes Asian folks, black people, Muslims, um, Native Americans. And so for us, we're, we're one culture, but we're very diverse experiences. So we need to put an end to this because there's no one specific group that it's been blamed. It is the system that has created this violence since the colonization started over 500 years ago. All right. So uh, next I'll be playing a clip from Democracy Now! And this is an interview that uh, Amy Goodman uh, um, did uh, with uh, an activist uh, named Issa Nayola. 
and you can find this on the Democracy Now! Uh, website. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. On Monday night, thousands gathered in downtown Orlando for a candlelight vigil to remember the victims of the massacre at the Pulse nightclub. A nearby church bell tolled 49 times, once for each victim. Most of the victims were young and Latino or Latina. To talk more about the Orlando shootings, we're joined by Issa Noyola. She's director of programs for the Transgender Law Center, the largest transgender organization. She's a trans-Latina activist and a national leader in LGBTQ immigrant rights movement. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Issa. Can you respond to not only what took place uh, early Sunday morning, the 49 people killed, um, but then um, the reaction to it in this country, both the movement's reaction and then those running for president, like Donald Trump? Yes, uh, buenos dias. Uh, this is an incredibly difficult moment that my community is uh, facing at this moment. It's a deep pain and um, one that I think our Latino, Latina, Latinx community is is very much in, in the trenches. We are deep in sorrow, and so I think that um, we are, as a community, we're, we're always perceived as sort of resilient, but that resiliency comes from, uh, you know, being years in, in survival mode. And I know that my community has very much survived, is surviving violence on a daily basis. Um, these spaces, at, like at Pulse Nightclub, these Latino nights, are very much sacred spaces for our community. They're spaces of, of, of respite, of, of safety, of camaraderie, of community. And the fact that now that these spaces are now threatened, um, that now we have to think twice before we enter these spaces, when they're already far and few between, when we're already under vigilance, when we're already over-policed, when we're already feeling that our lives are, at any moment, given moment, that our lives are, are threatened due to state violence, due to interpersonal violence, domestic violence, gun violence now, um, it is in in increasingly troubling that my community um, is not centered in this moment that in this moment there was a context for that shooting. And that context is that my community was deeply impacted and, and murdered. Um, and we are not lifting um, appropriately our community of LGBT, Latina, Latinx uh, leaders in this moment, and, and how we've been in survival mode for many, many years. Um, the fact of the matter is, just across the country as I travel, there are very few spaces that really provide programming, uh, monolingual programming, bilingual programming for our community. And so often these spaces, these club spaces, are, are, are just a few um, a few spaces that we can access safely. Aisa, for those who haven't heard the term, explain Latinx. Latinx is a term that's being used within social justice circles and in our community just to acknowledge sort of that we are, you know, all genders, that uh, folks who identify not just as Latino masculine or Latina feminine, um, but also just the, it acknowledges a gender spectrum, essentially, mm. um, because we are diverse in our gender expression. 
Can you talk about what the media narrative is missing? You know, vigils are held all over the country. In New York, flowers, people gathering at Stonewall, uh, the place where decades ago really was the birthplace of the modern-day gay rights movement, when um, patrons of this bar, another sanctuary for um, gay, Latino, trans people uh, was raided by police. And those that led that raid at Stonewall were um, trans women uh, who took off their stiletto high heels and they hammered on the heads and the bodies of the police that were raiding this bar, that were tormenting them. Can you talk about what we don't hear and watch in the media now as this story around Orlando unfolds? I think the stories of the individuals that that were that were murdered and killed are are starting to emerge. I think that um, the stories of survival and the stories of of how our community is is surviving on a daily basis is not being talked about. The ways in which our Latino immigrant um, communities are having to survive to exist. Um, to to really think about create you know use creativity to re really think about supporting each other right and we often we see our communities um, really in in ingenious ways sort of supporting each other um, and providing space in moments of crisis providing spaces in homes providing spaces um, like in clubs and offering services because of the fact of the matter is we we don't as a as a broader LGBT main movement, uh, I think that the buzzword of diversity and sort of inclusion is always used, but so often it's it's not met with real intentional efforts. Um, and the fact of the matter is that our community is not the first thing not I saw was the name of the shooter. Intentionally looked at and is often tokenized. And in these moments, our stories are used. Our stories are, um, you know, talked about in ways of just othering. And I think that is a moment for uh, for the broader LGBT movement and for society to really think about how our Latinx, Latina, Latino communities um, have been surviving. And the fact of the matter is that through state violence, through detention centers, through through the immigration process, through the journey of arriving to this country, that my community is suffering at every turn. I want to turn to Donald Trump speaking yesterday in the aftermath of the Orlando attack. We cannot afford to talk around issues anymore. We have to address these issues head on. I called for a ban after San Bernardino and was met with great scorn and anger. But now, many years, and I have to say, many years, but many are saying that I was right to do so. And although the pause is temporary, we must find out what is going on. We have to do it. It will be lifted, this ban, when and as a nation we're in a position to properly and perfectly screen these people coming into our country. They are pouring in, and we don't know what we're doing. So that is Donald Trump uh, calling for a ban on Muslims in the wake of the Orlando attacks. Your response, Issa Nayola. 
You know, the the U.S. government and, you know, the right-wing conservative uh, leadership and groups really need to take a hard look and a reflection in the mirror, because in the same ways that they're wanting to demonize and portray other cultures and other religions as violent and as um, cruel, uh, they are not really understanding how the United States government, in many ways, inside detention centers, through pol over-policing, through criminalization, is enacting the same violence, enacting the same rhetoric. I mean, Chase was right around sort of the uh, the policies that have been introduced this year. Um, all are rooted in hate. All are rooted in really, um, you know, stigmatizing the community as, as predators, as as non-human. Essentially, they're trying to dehumanize us so that we so that then violence can be enacted, so that then people can take action on on that rhetoric um, and. And cause violence, bodily harm, you know, bodily harm to our to to my community. And I think that you know, I was in North Carolina at, when HB two uh, was announced, and I was in the middle of a of a hate uh, rally from the from conservative religious communities that were gathered. Thousands of, of people were gathered, and I was in the sea of it. And and the the hate was palpable. The rhetoric um, on stage was that my community is not human, that my community is disposable. And so Donald Trump and many of those leaders really need to acknowledge the same rhetoric that, that is just, you know, that they are that they are enacting, that they are actually, you know, causing in our society here in the United States. Mm. Um, can you talk about these LGBTQ nightclubs? Are they, are they increasing the number of them around the country as sanctuaries, um, or are they disappearing? You know, unfortunately, that is not the case. Um, um, you know, spaces for queer and trans people of color, for Latino, for black uh, communities, for um, are, are, are disappearing. Here in San Francisco, we've seen various spaces and, and clubs for, for black, queer, and trans folks, for Latino uh, folks just this year. Esta Noche in the Mission was closed um, and is now uh, a hipster uh, bar. Uh, in, in Los Angeles, we've seen the, the closure of Circus and many other places due to displacement and gentrification, and now they're becoming high-rise condos. Um, and so we're seeing the landscape for, for our communities change um, because of sort of the broader context of what's happening, of how our communities of color are under attack, and we're being pushed out of our own, our own communities. Um, and so these nights are rare. These Latino nights are sometimes once a week or once a month or once every other couple months. Um, they're not often. And so the violation that took place in Orlando um, that we, you know, already we are, are fighting so hard to keep the few spaces that are available to us, the few spaces that are carved out for us at LGBT centers, the few spaces that are created for us, we are fighting really hard to keep them because we know how much we, as a culture, need to support each other, how um, these moments of crisis, we're needing these spaces to mobilize and to organize. And so it is, you know, it is a travesty that now Orlando is faced with um, yet another space that's threatened and is, uh, you know, 
is not accessible for my community. Isanola, I want to thank you for being with us, Director of Programs for the Transgender Law Center, the largest transgender organization. She's a trans-Latina activist and a national leader in the LGBTQ immigrants' rights movement. This is Democracy Now! When we come back, we look at the link between mass shootings and domestic violence. Stay with us. Okay. So that was an interview I wanted to play. And then next up, there's going to be an interview with uh, someone, uh, Izzedine uh, Mustafa, who is a trans uh, Muslim man. And there's also a lot of Islamophobia that's been in this country for a while. And uh, also, it's a shame when folks are not looking at the intersectionality that's taking place um, after the shooting. And when I read that name, it was scary because my name is very similar sounding. I have a Muslim name and I'm a Muslim man. People are gonna blame me for what happened yesterday, but at the same time, give me condolences as a queer person. My name is Azadine Mustafa. I'm a 24-year-old uh, Palestinian transgender man, I'm currently residing in Brooklyn, New York. This past week has been uh, a whirlwind. The beginning of Ramadan celebrations started, as well as the week of Pride Month. And so it was like an intersection of my identities crossing over, and it was very beautiful, uh, leading up until yesterday. I believe that all of the struggles are connected. Homophobia and transphobia to me is very much connected to Islamophobia because of the violence that is perpetrated by the state. I think it's important that as Americans, we don't distance this event as an isolated event of a Muslim person versus the West or a Muslim person against us. This person was fueled by the homophobia and transphobia of this country. This is an American who watches mainstream media and every day sees politicians talking about how gay and trans people shouldn't use the same restrooms as others. I made the personal choice to come out and come out fully to both communities because I think it's important that we show that we are here and we exist and we are here to bridge that divide. Okay. <laughs> so, as we're, we're moving along uh, with, uh, with the program, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about some things that have happened that may not have made it to the mainstream media, and also just to be very skeptical of the media and what they choose to report and how they choose to report it, and that's always been an issue. Uh, I did see this awesome documentary on Netflix called 1971 that I highly recommend, and it's about folks who broke into FBI offices in 1971 and uh, got rid of... Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and got rid of... Uh, uh, got rid of, disposed of, and the, or actually didn't dispose of, but they let the public know about how the FBI, um, they're, they're, how they were spying on people, citizens, and also like just in terms of like the draft, wanting to, to draft folks. That's not the most concise uh, 
uh, summary of it, but I uh, highly recommend folks uh, check that out. It's called 1971. Yeah, it's very good. I, did, I just... Uh saw it like within the last couple of weeks also. oh yeah yeah it was wonderful um so i'm gonna play i'm gonna play i'm gonna read one more story and this is just uh, deals with the media and then also uh law enforcement and we'll hear another song and then we'll be joined by uh, alan who who has come in we're talking about the production uh, queer as fuck so this comes from the website filming cops and again there's this idea of people wanting to assume uh, that law enforcement has been a, a friend to the, the queer community when in many cases the opposite has been true. And this article came out yesterday and was written by Ashaka uh, Jegru. And uh, while press fawned over cops guarding LGBTQ bars, NYPD charged Orlando March with horses, arrested four, injured one. On June 12th, at around 2 a.m., Omar Mateen went into Pulse, a gay nightclub in Orlando, and was and gunned down 49 people while wounding at least 53 others. After Mateen was killed by police and the massacre was finished, the nation quickly went into mourning for those who lost their lives, most of whom were queer people of color. Hours afterwards, a vigil was held in New York City outside of the Stonewall Inn, the site of the 1969 Stonewall riots that kicked off the modern LGBTQ rights movement. Those riots were in response to police harassment and attacks against the queer and trans folks who frequented Stonewall. But on June 12, 2016, a large crowd of people was gathered to mourn with a number of heavily armed police nearby as reporters swarmed around asking people how they felt. A group of about 200 people decided to leave the vigil to take to the streets and march. They marched from Stonewall to Union Square, had another speak out, and then made their way to Times Square. The group, now made up of a few dozen people, were on the street most of the way there and even had a die-in at one point. But by the time they reached 42nd Street, police decided they had had enough of queer people and their allies marching in the streets. Police on horseback can be seen on multiple videos charging at the group while commanding them to get on the sidewalk. Chants of, we are not afraid, then rang out in response to the police's attempts at intimidation. Two mounted police nearby trampled people as they attempted to corral the marchers like cattle, while cops on foot arrested four people just before 10 p.m. One of the four arrested was injured by police and had to be hospitalized. Three of the arrestees were all held for more than 24 hours, a violation of the right to a speedy trial in New York case law, while the one who was injured was held for about two days. Several people posted video of the incident almost immediately, and it's reposted below on this uh, article. Multiple people tweeted first-hand reports and shock at the actions of the NYPD. There was ample material readily available on the internet for journalists to write a complete report of the night's Orlando solidarity actions in New York City, which ended with this attack by the NYPD. One might assume that journalists covering the Orlando Solidarity actions, especially local NYC journalists, would want to write about police on horseback charging at people marching in solidarity with those who killed in Orlando, or at least mention the arrests and injury in their report. Journalists could easily connect this to the Stonewall Riots, Pride Month, and the long history of police violence against queer and trans people. They could contrast the police behavior against the marchers with the fact that the NYPD deployed 500 more cops around the city to supposedly defend sites important to the LGBTQ community. They could talk about the admiration Mateen had for the NYPD, or they could talk about the cops' actions as one of their many forms of homophobic violence in general. There was no shortage of angles. 
but instead, almost every media outlet, including local NYC outlets that generally pick up these firsthand YouTube and Twitter accounts, fawned over the NYPD protecting LGBTQ landmarks and omitted the NYPD's attack, assault, and arrests entirely. Gay City News published a piece, which also appeared in their sister paper, The Villager, which has since been removed, that mentioned the vigil at Stonewall and a more somber interfaith vigil at Judson Memorial Church, but there was no mention of the marches or the arrests. They didn't fail to mention that the Stonewall vigil had heavy protection from the New York Police Department, though. The Daily Dot noted that the march was ignored by police and allowed to continue despite a lack of permit, but made no mention of the mounted police charging at marchers. Vice News mentioned the march to 14th Street, but said nothing about what happened after that. CBS New York mentioned police guarding the block at Stonewall, but said nothing about the marches or arrests, despite having a reporter on the ground up, to, up until an hour after the arrests happened. NYC New York, I'm sorry, NBC New York quoted NYPD Chief James Waters at the Stonewall vigil, saying that the cops would be protecting the LGBTQ community, but didn't include anything on the marches or arrests. ABC News didn't even mention anything on the marches, police on horses, or the arrests. The first image shown by PIX11 was of, a heavily, was of heavily armed cops outside of Stonewall, and they made sure to also quote Chief Waters, assuring the LGBTQ community that the NYPD would be protecting them. There was nothing about the marches, attacks by mounted police, or the arrests, though. Pink News wrote a piece pinkwashing the NYPD, essentially portraying them as former oppressors that have been redeemed since the days of Stonewall riots and who have been transformed into modern-day protectors of the LGBTQ community. Despite their abundance of articles on the aftermath of the Orlando shooting, they still haven't written anything on the marches, the arrests, or the attacks by mounted police on people marching in solidarity with Orlando. AM New York had plenty of pictures of the vigil at Stonewall, but had absolutely nothing about the marches and arrests. The New York Times also apparently didn't think the marches, the attacks by mounted police, the arrests, or the injured marcher was news that was fit to print. Their coverage was totally confined to the vigil at Stonewall. In addition to praising the NYPD for standing in front of the LGBTQ landmarks heavily armed, several outlets also praised the NYPD for showing restraint in policing the demonstrations and even reported that there were no arrests. Film the Cops editor Keegan Steffen emailed several of these sources requesting a correction, providing links to video of the incident and eyewitness accounts and contact information. Only Gothamist updated their post. DNA Info later ran a separate story on the arrests and injury. For most of these outlets, the basic narrative was that a sorrowful yet G-rated vigil occurred at Stonewall, where people spouted liberal platitudes about everyone loving each other and not spreading the hate. Also, despite the fact that the vast majority of the people killed in Orlando were queer people of color, most of the people interviewed by TV outlets like CBS, NBC, ABC, and PIX11 were white men. Passive forms of mourning were spotlighted, while those who chose to mourn by taking to the streets were, minim were minimized, if not totally ignored. Rather than talk about people marching on the streets chanting, stand up, fight back, Many outlets instead made sure to include that people stood outside Stonewall and sang, we shall overcome. Many of the reporters apparently weren't around for the marches, and the few who were there didn't stick around beyond 14th Street. It seems most of them just got what they needed from the Stonewall vigil for a feel-good piece and then left. And of course, media coverage emphasized that police were protecting the vigil and the wider LGBTQ community, even though those who were arrested, injured, or nearly trampled by cops on horseback probably didn't feel so protected by the NYPD. 
As progressive queens noted, the NYPD seized on people's fears of terrorism to pinkwash their violent history and still troubled relationship with the LGBTQ community, and the press dutifully supported their effort while omitting the facts. And again, uh, you can find this article at filmingthecops.news or on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash weeklyrev. So that's just something else uh, for folks to consider, especially given the history of treatment uh, by law enforcement in this country. So with that, we have some more music to, <laughs> to cleanse the palate, as it were, and then we'll be joined uh, uh, by our guest uh, in a little bit. So Bonnie, if you'd, uh, you're welcome to uh, share some music with us. Okay, I guess uh, this is, in a sense, a song about not giving up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Oh Emily, mm-hmm. and uh, I wrote it, and the following day when I got the newspaper, I saw the headlines of the paper, and it, in big bold letters it was Emily Hits. Florida. It was a tornado. Oh. Oh, 
and climb to the mountaintop. You can see from sea to sea and you can be free. Don't waste your heart on memories, no fantasies of vengeance. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yes. Thank you, Roman. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. We'll be back with uh, Alan Kismorio in just a few moments. Uh, so stay tuned. And uh, we'll be back in just a bit. I'm going to play a clip here um, uh, called uh, Queer Muslims Confront Intersectional Challenges. And you can find the full video for this on our page, which is located at facebook.com slash weekly rev. And, uh, and here we go. So it's coming up. And also just do a, pr a plug. So the show Queer as Fuck is, has been has opened and will be, uh, you can check it out at Bindlestiff Studio here in San Francisco. And we'll be talking about that in just a little bit. I've received a number of emails from people and um, I would probably say 80% of them are younger um, LGBTQ people who are fearful. They're like, I'm afraid. I'm, what can I do? You know, um, and I've been tr working very diligently to calm them. My name is Aru Jarshid and I identify as a queer Muslim. I was born and raised in Pakistan and my family immigrated to the U.S. when I was 17 and I came out at 19 and that was um, about 20 years ago. So <laughs> I feel like I live in a new world. You know, I think when people, after 9-11, it felt like a new world. This is, I feel like I'm on the, on the third day of a new reality for so many people that I know and love. Because we, we sit at these intersections, these are not separate identities for us. Uh, for a long time we felt invisible in both spaces. We were educating LGBT mainstream folks and we were educating Muslims around the existence of these complex identities and a lot of times our voices get lost. I'm scared, you know, in terms of I was already feeling very vulnerable. My communities feel really vulnerable. We feel unsafe for so many reasons. The trauma in our community is so palpable. So we're already sitting with that. I just don't know what this is going to do to us. You know, I think right now we're in crisis mode, but once things start to kind of calm down, I, I really feel that whatever policies become so prominent, it's an election year, it's already scary what kind of rhetoric is being said. Um, I just don't know what the world is going to look like. My name is Shazad Ukani. I am a queer Pakistani-American Ismaili Muslim, originally from Chicago. My mom specifically didn't have prior exposure um, to what it meant to come out and um, to be able to differentiate um, sexual and gender diversity from um, mental illness. I was incredibly scared. Um, it was um, after Ramadan in August of 2010. 
um, where I decided that this was absolutely necessary for me and I felt completely and utterly unprepared for it. There are so little safe spaces for um, queer and trans people of color to begin with um, and now others are making it less safe and less available. Given that a lot of us are in mourning, continue to be in mourning, um, I think a lot of our concerns revolve around trying to build as many allies as possible. I think we have a lot of allies in name, but unfortunately those allies exist in name only. That's both within and outside of the Muslim community. It's important that we have more voices to articulate their particular life issues, their life experiences, and also that there is a way to find a common ground so that we can all work and live together. And welcome back to the Weekly Review. I am joined by, uh, thanks again to Bonnie Johns for coming in and sharing some lovely music with us. That was much needed. So thank you again, Bonnie, for coming in and sharing that with us. So I'm joined by uh, a lovely individual I met very recently um, with the production Queer as Fuck, which is happening now at Bindle Stiff Studio. So welcome to the program, uh, Alan Casmorio. Hey, Roman. Hi. Here. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. I thought <laughs> we, could, we could talk. It's definitely important to be supporting queer artists all the time, um, yeah, yeah, especially now. So something we just talk a little bit about queer as fuck sure sure thing so uh while i am you know a producer the the brainchild of queer as fuck is judith ferrer mm -hmm. i mean she's done so much work on this i mean this was yeah. uh she approached me last year about uh getting involved and mm -hmm. i you know i was just um honored to be asked that I didn't, I didn't second guess myself. I said yes. Yeah. I, I wanted to work with Judith. Mm -hmm. um, I think that she has a lot of a lot of vision, and I think that uh, with uh, with the production of Queer as Fuck, the initial production or the Maiden Voyage, so to yes. speak, uh, Queer as Fuck, I think she has um, she has something in her hands that can go on for many more years. Yeah, it's uh, it's really awesome to be uh, involved. It really does feel like a family, even with these folks I've met very recently, it feels very warm and welcoming. Well, from, from the very beginning, Judith yes. wants this to be inclusive. Yes, I, yes. I mean, when I, when I joined up, I thought it was just, you know, well, we're gonna celebrate, you know, uh, Filipino queerness, so it'll be Filipino mm -hmm. artists, writers, actors. Mm -hmm. But then she corrected me, she said, no, it's not just Filipino. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be at a Filipino-American space, but mm -hmm. this is open to everybody. So yes. I was just, you know, amazed and and appreciative uh, with that, you know, statement of inclusion. Yes, absolutely. Especially within the the LGBT community, which can be need more. Yes, absolutely. Within and without. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's yeah. I feel very very fortunate to be involved. Uh, with the with the with the I'm group. Glad we, I'm glad that we found you. I'm glad yes. that you found us. Yeah, definitely. I have to uh, thank Tita Aida for that. Tita Aida, yeah. yes, she did. She did uh, recommend you, and, yeah. and we're glad that you, that she did. Yes, yeah. It's so important to hear like the queer narratives, especially in a in a fictitious setting. I feel like, or to have these these stories told, yes. and to kind of see ourselves, it's really refreshing to see. And uh, also, if I can just totally promote this shit, the hell out of the show, Please. and yeah. there's like six different pieces, and they all have their own tone, their own flavor, and their own story. And you know, some are some are comedic, some are more dramatic, mm -hmm. and they all fit together really nicely. And it's so 
and they're all really good like really really good like I yeah. cry even the ones I've seen multiple times <laughs> I cry um, yeah. and I cry multiple times I laugh even at things I've seen and heard before um, from watching the the performances before and it feels like it's like to have really good quality and I think it's, it's very yeah. diverse yeah and, and, and that is in line with you know Judith's vision yeah. Of inclusion. Yes, yeah. During auditions, I would suggest yeah. names, and she would say, well, are they are they queer? Yeah. And I would say, well, they're, you know, queer allies. Yeah, yeah. Said, okay, okay, let's do that. Let's, do, let's, yeah. let's call them in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, you know, she knew what she wanted. Yes. And she got it, and now it's paying in dividends. Yeah, it definitely. It really feels that way. And uh, someone who's performed in theater in a lot of different realms or something really special about yes. being amongst family and especially given the events of the last of this past weekend yeah which makes this production even more profound i think yes uh we don't we can't forget that we live in the bubble yes in the san francisco bay area yeah outside of you know uh our our lucky region uh, there's still you know people out there who just do not subscribe to you know uh queer folks as you know, part of society. Yes. Um, and this devastation that happened over the weekend just is an exclamation point. Yes. To that. Uh, I, I, I'll i be honest with you, I don't quite know how I feel just yet. I, I haven't felt the entire spectrum of emotions that I have inside. Yeah, yeah. But I do know that it's in... It's important to use this as a as a rally call that they did not die for nothing. Right, right. You know, we as, as a queer community needs to turn our, our, our mourning and our anger into something productive. I mean, yes. Let's vote these politicians out. Yeah. Let's change the, the, the rules. Yes. You know, we have that power, but we need to we need to exercise that power. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think also art is a very powerful way of of, of doing that, is Definitely. to coming together and getting folks to reconsider how they might think and then also just to empower us as as individuals. Right. Right. Instead of watching the typical kind of like <laughs> cishet narrative, which I think so many of us There's have lots. grown up with in this country. And that's because uh, I think that the, I, I, let's just say the French folks of the queer community don't yeah. feel like they're invited. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and it just takes us that, that one invitation that leads to the next invitation that then leads to these artists who start like looking at their raw yeah. talent and their and their and their raw imagination and then and and, and turning it into uh, well refined. I don't know if refined is a good word or not, but refined art. Yes, you know that that can then be understood by everybody else. Yes, definitely. Right. Yeah. So, um, what other work have you been in, involved with in your career? So, um, I am currently in a production of King Lear mm -hmm. that opens tonight. Okay. <laughs> at the Phoenix Theater. Oh yeah. Uh, it is produced the by the Ninjas of Drama. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I like to I like to challenge myself. So when um, when Ray Carolino uh, presented himself to me, I said, you know what? We've known each other for a while, and we've never worked together. Yeah. So, is there anything that I can do for you? And he said, "Well, I'm doing King Lear." Yeah. And I would like you to be in it if you don't mind. And I said, "Yeah, I, don't, I would love to be in it." And I, I don't know what I was going to play, but mm -hmm. when he said I was going to uh, play um, uh, uh, Cornwall, which is one of the villains, yes. I thought I, I love playing villains. You know, I, I love exercising you know all these you know, <laughs> negative energies out of me. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing that. 
Uh, I am also uh, producing a play that's going to be at Bindlestick this fall. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I'm working with uh, Sandy Pinopio on mm-hmm. it. Paul Cleese will be directing. Yeah. Uh, it's a play called uh, The Girl Most Likely To. Okay. And it's... Uh, Oh, Lord. It's written by Michael Permisserat. Okay. I'm glad I was able to pronounce that. And it's about um, a transgender teen that gets killed. Oh. No, more heavy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's really important to bring yes. these stories. Yes. Oh, absolutely. To the stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. As a as a as a trans person, it's like there, I I'm grateful when I you know see or hear of a production that involves right. a trans person, and then there's also and I, th- I think similarly for for gay folks, where like right. so often the stories are told, and then it ends up with someone being murdered. Right. And that said, you know yeah. we are casting. We're looking for young trans teens. Oh yeah, yeah. So put the word out for yeah, sure. Put the word out. Yeah. So. What age, like high school age? High school or? to young, you know, early twenties. They, they have okay. to, uh, they have to look like they're in high school. Okay. Right. Got it. Very cool. Well, I'll definitely put the word out so right, we can get right. some young trans talent out there. Would love that. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> That's very good. Oh, well, it's exciting. It's and I think that'll mean a lot to people to have that, to, to both to be involved with that production and then for audiences to be able right. to to go to see that well it's meaningful for me yeah um you know the trans community has has fought for gay rights and lesbian rights yeah but i personally feel like we haven't done enough for the trans community yeah so i'm doing my part yeah and that's very much appreciated sure (laughs) like there's there is that there's that kind of we all need to help each other out and and it goes like intersectionality like, right, right. I mean, there is that. I think within the gay community, the LGBTQ community, there is the the misogyny and the transphobia and the white supremacy that's right. within it all. And right. I think that and needs to be looked at more. We tend to, be, more. We tend to like not. We we say that we see the whole picture, but we don't really. Yes. Yeah. You know, and we can't say you know just because we're gay, we're radicals, yep. or liberals, or free thinkers, or outside thinkers. Yes. You know. Yeah. It's just like saying, oh, I'm. I'm all inclusive. I'm I'm politically correct, but yeah. what does that mean? Right. You know that has gotten us into a lot of trouble. Yes, you know? I yeah. totally agree with that. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, a lot to. There's definitely a lot to unpack. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so we can talk more about you and your experience here in the Bay Area. Have sure. you? Did you grow up here? I, I did grow up here. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Vallejo, California. Oh, yeah, Vallejo. Right? I lived at the Glen Cove Marina for oh, a few months. It was an interesting period it. in my life. Yeah. I haven't been there in years, so mm-hmm. I don't know what Glen Cove looks like right yep. now. But, <laughs> but I loved Glen Cove when I was uh, growing up there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was born in the Philippines, mm-hmm. uh, and I grew up in uh, the, this little pro- uh, province called Ilocosur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in 78, my mom took me and my brother to the States to meet my dad, because mm-hmm. my dad was already here practicing mm-hmm. medicine. Mm-hmm. And we started a life here, and, mm-hmm. and I spent most of my you know, childhood and, and adolescence in Vallejo, California. And you know, like all suburban kids, yeah. you know, we didn't know any better, like what's outside of the yeah. city limits. But once I learned yeah. to drive, I drove right to San Francisco, and yes. I just fell in love with this place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I bet, yeah, I've only, I mean, I grew up in Richmond in the East Bay for a little bit, and then I lived out in New York for a while, so I kind of returned within the last couple years, and it's been interesting. I feel like a sense of grief in that, recognizing how many places in San Francisco have left and people and how many institutions especially for queer folks and like hearing about how there used to be so many lesbian bars on Valencia for instance and there used to be so many bathhouses around and a lot of those have closed down 
yeah. for a variety of reasons over the years. Well, you know, I, I moved to San Francisco in the 90s, and it was an exciting time. While there was you know, a lot of devastation from, from the AIDS epidemic, Yes, it really activated the community. Mm-hmm. And it was exciting in that way. And... Um, and we've worked really hard to to get to where we are, but now we're 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 looking at a community that doesn't seem to have a purpose. Yes. And but there is, and you know, and, and to tie it back to the devastation over yes. the weekend. Yes. That's the purpose. Now it's yeah. time to really take ourselves out of the bubble, and use our influence, and and turn things around nationally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm see, San Francisco's changed a lot. Yeah, I I bet. And uh, you know, I mean, just being part of, uh, of the San Francisco uh, community, we we need to also change that around. Right, right. You know? So vote. And yeah. And those I'm, people out of City Hall that you don't agree with. Yes, here, here, and right. thankfully that there was. I think I think they're still actually counting some of the ballots from right. the June seventh. Right, um, right. But I mean, thankfully, there has been a lot more political activity, and I would like to see even more from more from that from yeah. the from the queer community. Yeah, like I said, you know, don't stop. <laughs> Being angry is not enough. We yeah, turn that anger into something productive. Yeah, into action. Right. Yeah. Cool. So I'm, well, I'm really glad to to uh, to be here to promote yeah. uh, queers fuck. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's very you know, uh, there's something for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the people who were involved, who are involved with the production, had a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and not just, you know, putting on a show, but l- meeting each other. Yes. Yeah. And creating these lifelong networks. Yeah. It's been great from the first moment um, I've met. The, like, it's just been, I can't praise right. the production, like, highly enough. Like, right. just that's... It really feels like a family, and that's right. really wonderful. And then you perform next weekend. Yes, yeah, next weekend. Right, in, so. a, in, in Lemon Cake. In Lemon Cake, a monologue where I, <laughs> I get to be angry, and but trying to be not too angry. Right. I was mentioning that earlier. That, and that's uh, really interesting. Yeah. So that's that one's directed by Pablo Bautista. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his concept is, because yeah. there, there are two yes. actors cast in yeah. that one actor is Jay. Yeah, who's wonderful. Who's wonderful. Yeah. He's performing this weekend. Yes, yes. He's doing the, the trans woman version. Mm-hmm. And then next weekend you're doing the trans man version. Yes, yes. So I, I, unfortunately, I will not be able to see Jay, uh, but I will be able to see you. I'll, I'll be there Thursday. Yeah, it's um, it's been really cool seeing Jay perform, and uh-huh. Jay brings like a very like it's a much more comedic element to it. Right, so it's right. really awesome to see like the same script just with a different perspective on it, and, and that's really that. wonderful. Because you know, how many times can you see the you know the same material yes. interpreted? Yes. You know, in this way. Yeah. You know, and and Pablo really brings the actors' experiences into their characters, which is why, you know, his <laughs> uh, yours is different than hers. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting as an actor. I'm sure you you recognize like bringing, yeah. you know, your own self into the character and like how much do we right. do we we put into that and how much right. will it allow? Right. Right. And of course, the audience has no idea, you know, what's us and what's the character, and like right. the lines get very blurry. <laughs> I, but that's that's what I love about you know acting, yeah. performing, writing, uh, is that you get to uh, inhabit mm-hmm. another another mindset. Yes, yeah. And really look at it from that perspective. I think actors, uh, directors, writers, whatever, actor, well, artists in general, you know, are are almost like uh, uh, shamans. Yeah. You know, um, 
and I, and and it's a way for for them to really understand the world and to communicate that understanding to everybody else. Yes, and it's like a safe way to express it. Right. Um, because if I were to go out and like speak that or yell the monologue, you know, like right. someone would, well, it's, I guess it's San Francisco, so people might not necessarily look, you know, but in certain right. places it might not be viewed as appropriate, I would say. Right. right. Um, and then here on a stage I can scream or, or just be very angry right. and emote and not only is it respected, um, but it's heard, and really people are actually listening. And right. I think it says a lot about our culture. Where, but then it's also yeah. because we're we're functioning in a bubble. We need to, yes. to be able to do that yeah. sort of expression outside of the bubble. Yes, we have to yes. be safe. Yeah, to express that outside of the bubble. Here, here, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we can go, go over the, the dates for the, the show, which is happening. It's happening again tonight. Exactly. So yeah. it's only for two weekends. Mm-hmm. So you got to go. Yeah, got to go. So it opens tonight mm-hmm. and it runs, uh, I believe, uh, tomorrow night mm-hmm. and then next week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we don't and then, and then we, we end because we don't want to perform on Friday, Sunday. Uh, so uh, if you can if you log on to the Bindlestiff Studios website, uh, I think there's a. Uh, a link that leads mm-hmm. to the the brown paper tickets. Yes. Yeah. Link where you can purchase tickets. Awesome. Yeah, and I believe the doors are at seven thirty, and the show begins at eight p.m. Right. right. So, and there's also like a Facebook invite, which right. I uh, will share, and folks right. can access information that way. Right. Yeah. So it's at one eight five. Howard, no, sorry, one eight five six Street. I should know, right? One eight five six Street at Howard. Yeah, and Biddlestiff is an awesome space. I had never been there before, and I'm very grateful. Like I think, just since theaters are, I feel are very sacred spaces. um, Very grateful that it's there. Again, you know, Judith's idea is to expand this outside of the Filipino community. Yeah, you know, bring people in and and have more people know about yes yeah judith is awesome too like everyone i've met in this production has been just i just can't speak highly enough about like the folks i've met in this and it's just really incredible and it shows in the work it absolutely does everybody's passionate yes yeah oh i mean i totally i feel like i've done a total like like 180 from where i was at the beginning of of the show i was just speaking about Orlando and like right. the anger and you right. know being queer identified and the the constant violence that we face and then it's awesome to find right. find folks who are working to make things to like have these conversations and to make things different and to right. really come together and create in the midst of all this destruction. Right. Again, turn all these emotions into something productive and active. Yes. And change. Yes. Here here. <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, thank you so much. Is there thank anything you. else you'd like to share? That is all. Uh, thank you again for inviting me to oh, talk about Queer Spuck. For sure. Absolutely. And for me to be able to say fuck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, completely uncensored. We have no right. We have no sponsors. There's no FCC, which is very lovely. I, I do uh-huh. swear a lot on here. So it's it's lovely to have that. Um, yeah. So I'm going to play some music and then I'll be back uh, finishing up the, the program. So stay tuned. Thanks again, uh, Alan, for coming Thank in. You. And thanks again to Judith and everyone involved with Queer as Fuck, all the, the actors and directors and the writers and everyone at Bindlestiff. Uh, I feel very fortunate to be involved with this show and I encourage everyone to come check, at, check it out. So we'll be back in, uh, in a little bit. And...
<laughs> the point five points by point five fag. Point one, don't drink orange juice after brushing your teeth. Point two, never, ever, ever trust a rapper with dreadlocks. Point three, skilled MCs don't worry about being bitten. They just write more dope rhymes. Point four, we are bourgeois, boho, post-postmodern, African-American, homosexual, counter-hegemonic, anti-imperialist, renaissance Negroes, stalling your cipher. Point five, it's not that deep. Thank you. Future superstar lava wow. caterpillar feeling sad about the anti-imperialist fear desiring inside the tri-pirate abdomen and habits and stages. Counter-hegemonic clown and get ya. Split your pooper to the truth of shit. Rhythmic. Post-chrysalis. stylist. Post-homosexual. Lo and behold, only rapping your ass is visiting, licking it clean. You shitlessly scary witness. Birth no Mary of the earth. Most powerful. Counter-hegemonic. Instead of chronic. Oxymoronic. Love in the hell. shell. Boom. Crack the womb. Medipose a posse. Exposed to oxygen. Post on the global axis. So any fascists. Rap faggots. Pull it, fly out the maggots on the lynch corpse On the hang with the worst stench On clone, original, unkillable Don't cross the game, mad opposed posse slang Stop looking at me strange, mad opposed posse slang Stop looking at me strange Stop looking at me strange Stop looking at me strange Cause we are daring our tongues to be rebellious Shameless rhythmic Essex incantations Filled with holy spirits We're loving banji boy MCs endear it Society fear it And never ever wanna get near it Gay lyrics Righteous rappers Delude to Babylonian gun clappers We wear the masks and of my thugs packers. My quest. question versus the question back at you. How you gonna be pro-black unity, unity when we excluded, excluded from, from the data? data? The judgmental pedestal on which blind, blind men waddle. Foul altars constructed by disoriented role models. Spin in a bottle, hoping for fat chance like lotto. Flex the wrist, dice, shake your luck, push, roll, the numbers follow. follow. Excluded me, got hands motion and get out get like out. Apollo. Sandman, congratulations, cause you sucked the whole flow. Hip-hop is a little, little bit, bit more deterministic. deterministic. Like the hate some spit, flip, deliberate, and bigoted. Deadly like my silence. Spine. When my interception of hateful epithets go unchecked, no longer are we vexed. Our time has arrived. Next chapter. Homosexual rappers raise up to be fatter. We claim our love for BNMC, despite the fact that at times it seemed hip hop did not want to love me. Wanted to kill me, call me fagged and sissy. Slur words, absurd bitch nigga blurs. We dare to drop shit, shake little segregated boxes up like rainbow nerds. The interdiction that claimed our MC and was fiction got met with no friction. They just about wristing and enlisting and switching. Same old, same old, false. False tradition. We dare to cipher, decipher contradictions of that. Cause we are not large men yet. Yeah, we, we are, are fat. fat. And we are here to stay. And we gon' rhyme all day. Mighty post our master mounts. L-M-N-O-P. Demanding visibility. Nigga, respect you. Cause we are standing to have our say. Mighty have post our say. big up. Big up. Big up. Queer boys doing hip hop is a revolutionary act. Act. Uh, uh, act. Queer girls doing hip hop. Is a revolutionary act. Yo, it's the LSP. LSP. Coming to give a shout out to the Mary Post of Planetary Domination. Posting globally. Shout out to House of Savior, KG Red, Young Harif, Operator First Up, Rainbow Flavor, Dutch Boy, DJ Monkey, and I Double KI. Serious, the lyricist, Tory Fix, Matt Woven Smith, Oba DK, Michelle, and Nigga Ocello. Bahia, Run Fizz, Rough Chocolate, Brandy, Chief Doug E, Eric Tyson, Mop Mose, Blackberry, DJ J in Montreal, BFG. DJ Rob, Craig Loftus, Mixmaster, T Wise, Chris Dow, Roshandra, Miss Money, the B Girl, Wonder. 
Special shout out to MC Pecan Tan, Apache J7, Caswell and Crafty Yo for more play. Double H, Miss Platinum, Pam Pam, Rudy, Silver Crystal, Anthony, Soul Dobson, and Wish. Our wish is that for all the boys and girls, queer, straight, black, white, brown, yellow, and red, if you wish to see yourself reflected and can't reflect yourself, let us be your mirrors. Check the breath on us. Peace. And welcome back to the weekly review. Again, wanted to thank uh, Bonnie Johns and Alan Kismorio for coming in on the show and sharing their thoughts and their music and their art uh, with us. I feel uh, better, and I hope you do as well. Uh, that's what we can do. We can come together and share ourselves and uh, and not go at it alone, and that makes a huge difference. We just heard some music from Deep Dick Collective. Very awesome. And that's from the uh, album Deep Dick Collective, uh, the best of, very best of Deep Dick Collective. I uh, highly, highly recommend uh, checking them out. Ah, oh, okay. Would it surprise you if I told you I had a positive news story that's about queer stuff? There's other, there's other, other there's also, I'm not going to lie, there's other articles that are, uh, um, dealing with violence uh, within the queer community. Um, I feel done a lot today already, and so we're going to move along, uh, not to dismiss what's happened, um, but to, I should say, and, uh, want to move move along to some other positive things that are happening, because there's also some other things that are... Anyway, there's some positive things that are happening, and it's really important to address that and to recognize good things, uh, even in this country, that are happening for queer folks. And this is comes out of Oregon. Uh, know some folks from Oregon, know some folks who live there. Uh, good on you, Oregon, uh, because this is pretty rad. And this article comes from the Daily Dot. Uh, non-binary is now a legal gender, Oregon court rules. And this was written by Mary Emily O'Hara, and this was published on June 10th. So this is super awesome news. Super, super fucking awesome news. I don't get it, and a lot of other folks also are like, why do we need to have our gender listed on our forms of ID? Also, further along, why do we need to have forms of ID? Uh, clearly, uh, the idea of security, and I'll say security in quotes, uh, it to label us is very problematic and as soon as we're born you know they put a they put a mark on your birth certificate as to what what sex you are and what gender you are you know that that idea that somehow they can label you based on your body which is gross and weird really weird anyway i'm gonna go along to this article which is pretty badass and awesome so some positive things that are happening and as messed up as the law is and can be, um, there is things going, are things going in the right direction. So I applaud the folks standing up to change it so it's better for everyone else. So non-binary is now a legal gender, Oregon court rules. It's a brand new day for non-binary, genderqueer, transgender, and gender non-conforming people all over the nation. In a historic move sure to challenge federal policy, an Oregon Circuit Court ruled on Friday that a resident could legally change their gender to non-binary. The Daily Dot spoke in an exclusive first interview with Jamie Shoup, the Portland, Oregon resident and Southern Maryland native who requested the gender identity change. Male and female are the traditional categories, but they fail to properly categorize people like me, so I challenge that, said Shoup. Shoup's petition for sex change, as the court calls it, was filed on April 27th. 
With the help of Portland attorney Lake James Paraguay, and armed with two letters from primary care doctors shared privately with the Daily Dot, stating that Shoup's gender should be classified as non-binary, the case was made. Shoup, who prefers to use gender pronoun, who prefers not to use gender pronouns altogether, uses the honorific MX Mix, uh, and is an Army vet who began a gender transition in 2013 at age 49. Assigned a male gender at birth, Shoup initially petitioned to change their gender from male to female, and then from female to non-binary. As far as legal experts are aware, the Oregon court decision is the first time a court in the U.S. has ruled that non-binary is a legal gender. The Daily Dot spoke with attorneys at the Transgender Law Center, who noted the historic nature of the case. As far as we know, this may be the first ruling of its kind in the U.S., said Transgender Law Center's legal director, Ilana Turner, in an email to the Daily Dot. This is an important step toward ensuring that non-binary members of our community have access to identity documents that reflect who they are, just like everyone else. Mick Kincaid, who I know. Awesome. Mick is a rad person. Very cool. Uh, Mick Kincaid, a staff attorney at New York's Sylvia Rivera Law Project, called the Oregon court's decision wonderful news. To my knowledge, many cities and a few states have options where an ID card does not need to declare a gender, such as the NYC ID card or the NYS New York State benefits card, Kincaid told the Daily Dot in an email. But I have never heard of a system where somebody's non-binary gender is actually affirmed on the card itself. Sasha Alexander, SRLP's membership director, also celebrated the news. Many transgender nonconforming and intersex TGNCI people identify as non-binary or along a gender-fluid spectrum, but due to the nature of ID documents and discrimination, many of us have no way to see our gender identity reflected, so this is amazing news, Alexander said in an email. At the moment, it's unclear how the court's decision will play out in terms of identity documents, Shoup told the Daily Dot. Their first goal is to tackle the Oregon DMV. But even if the state agrees to issuing a non-binary driver's license, federal identity documents currently only allow for male or female gender markers. In 2014, over 64,000 people signed a petition asking the White House to legally recognize non-binary genders. But the petition was, was without success. However, according to the website nonbinary.org, other countries already federally recognize genders other than male and female, including Australia, Denmark, Nepal, and New Zealand. Shoup described being literally tearful on Friday when the court issued the judgment. This is incredibly humbling to be the first person to accomplish this, Shoup told the Daily Dot. I hope the impact will be that it opened the legal doorway for all that choose to do so to follow me through. We don't deserve to be classified improperly against our will. That is fucking awesome. That, that last line is for me. I think this is awesome, and that's some really great news. So in the midst of all this negative hatred and violence, there are good things happening and folks moving forward. So I think that's really important to remember. And I always like to have at least one positive news story on this show uh, every day because it's just to, just to prove that not everything is terrible and there is there are good things happening and progress is being made speaking of progress or not uh, it's very interesting uh how you know we choose and the media i feel does a very good job of keeping us afraid of one another and uh wanting to just tell a tale that keeps us afraid of one another because i guess they can make money that way through advertising the more afraid we are of each other um the 
you know, the more that they pe- people in power can profit, whether it's by selling weapons or keeping us alone in our houses, or if we if we're actually to talk to one another, we can actually help one another more and build together. So this is a positive news story, which wasn't really portrayed in the news. I wonder why. I just said why, um, and it kind of goes back to the initial story, and this is. Um, it's uh, from the Huffington Post, actually. Uh, over 200 Muslims came together to pray for the victims of, of Orlando. And unfortunately, we don't necessarily see this kind of information um, in major news outlets. And it would be great if folks could really, again, this goes back to the idea of intersectionality and people standing up for one another. So I'm going to play a clip from that. They have video footage. Uh, at the annual event, Iftar in the park, to break their fast uh, for the month of Ramadan. And, uh... This morning, 50 people were killed in a senseless act of violence at an Orlando nightclub. We're praying for those who were lost, that God grants them peace and tranquility. As Muslims, we're united in our outrage over this senseless act of violence. A lot of us are U.S. citizens regardless. We're all in this country. We're going to school here. We're working here. We wanted the rest of the country to know that we're thinking about what happened in Orlando and that we're standing with those people. So that's good. And again, it'd be interesting if we saw that kind of viral. And it has been viral. But to see more of that, more of the people standing up for one another um, as opposed to the Islamophobic uh, rants that are kind of going around. So something strange happened uh, over the last few days, and that was uh, some Democrats actually fucking did something. I'm not a huge fan of the Dems overall, and when I say that, sometimes people assume, if, especially if I say I'm not voting for a Democrat, people assume I'm voting for a Republican. And again, this goes to the whole, it's connected to the whole non-binary you know, conversation. The idea that just because you don't identify with one or you don't necessarily like one doesn't necessarily mean that you're the other. Um, so this happens as me as a Green Party supporter uh, or folks who are in, involved with the Green Party. Um, the Dems actually were started to, they had their filibuster. And again, this is, you know, it's very kind of late. You know, they've been it's very, very late. However, it does feel I watched some of it on Wednesday. There was the filibuster uh, started by Chris Murphy uh, from Connecticut and a lot of folks stepped up and you know imagine if this had happened a long time ago again easy to Monday morning quarterback it but uh, I feel like that's not even the, the right phrase to use because this could have happened a very 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 long time ago and who knows um, who you know what would have happened had folks taken action and it, it also reminds me a lot of the resignation of Greg Sir and the idea that yet you know Jessica Williams lost her life and you know, the mayor took action after another person was killed and why, and it's just so disgusting that so many people need to lose their lives in order for people in positions of power to wake up and take notice. And it's like, how many more people have to die in order for people to stand up and do the right thing? (sighs) So, uh, here's Cory Booker, uh, from New Jersey, a Senator from New Jersey. And I'm going to play a little bit of what he was saying here. Senator uh, from Connecticut, Chris Murphy, and the senior senator from Connecticut as well. Uh, I do want to echo his uh, really spirit in the deference he gave to Senator Barbara Mikulski and Senator Shelby. 
Uh, both of these two senators are people I respect a tremendous amount. In fact, I would go beyond that with Senator Shelby and Senator Mikulski because I have a deep affection for them both. Uh, they are great, strong legislators, and they have produced legislation uh, that is important to this country. Um, I have uh, a reverence for their work, uh, the attention to detail and the focus they have done preparing legislation to move forward. Uh, and I ask for um, indulgence from them uh, to understand why I stand on the floor today preparing to ask a question to Senator Murphy. Uh, Senator Murphy and I last night talked about the tragedy that happened in Florida. It was painful to both of us because we knew that this was not in any way an anomaly, that this was something happening with terrible, savage routine, that in this nation we are seeing mass killing after mass killing after mass killing after mass killing. And we both understood that our nation right now as with other of our colleagues, stands at a point of vulnerability to those who seek to do us harm, those who seek to inflict terror, those who seek to inflict grievous bodily harm, those who seek to kill Americans, that they have the ability to exploit loopholes in order to have access to weapons. And so I stand here today in preparation to ask a question to Senator Murphy, wanting to say that the motivation for his presence on the floor right now is that we just can't go on with business as usual in this body at a time where there is such continued grievous threat and vulnerability to our country, where you see again and again mass shooting after mass shooting. There is a saying that the only thing necessary for evil to be triumphant is for good people to do nothing. I'm grateful to Senator Murphy for his conviction in our conversations yesterday and into the night that we could not just go along with business as usual. We had had enough. That we had to push this body to come to some consensus on that which the overwhelming majority of Americans, indeed the overwhelming majority of gun owners in this country, indeed the overwhelming majority of NRA members in this country believe we should put forth common sense safety measures to protect against terrorists obtaining firearms to inflict the kind of carnage we have seen too often in this country and in others. And please understand, while many people imagine that when terrorists act, they act with bombs, more and more across the globe, across the United States, they are acting with assault weapons and firearms. And so we are here today to say enough. I've cleared my entire day. This will not be business as usual. I cleared my evening events so that I could stay on this floor 
and support Senator Murphy as he pushes this body to come to some consensus in the way that the country has already done, that there are common sense practical ways that we can protect this nation from terrorism. And please understand, the Constitution of this country begins with this understanding that the primary responsibility of this nation is about the common defense. It says in our preamble that we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America, written there in plain English. The Constitution which laid out our very form of government in which this body stands, put in its clear English at the beginning that we are to focus on domestic tranquility, the common defense, the general welfare. And so we cannot go on with business as usual in this body. We must stand because this violence in our country will continue unless we take measures, common sense measures, to restrict these firearms going to known or suspected terrorists. Okay, so that was Cory Booker from the uh, Senate Democrat filibuster. A lot of folks spoke. I spent a good chunk of the day listening uh, to, to hear people speak. And again, it's very late in what could and should have happened earlier, but glad it was happening. So again, uh, wanting to be grateful that that did happen. And uh, something else I was going to uh, talk a little bit about, not so much, we're running it low on time is uh, there is Joe Cox, who is a uh, labor uh, party uh, politician in the UK who was murdered. And uh, Glenn Greenwald from The Intercept uh, was writing a bit, bit about this, and you can find more information there. And so Joe Cox was a British MP and was on the, on the right side of things, we should say, and, it's a, and she was murdered. And so, and his article in The Intercept, which you can check out in full, uh, Greenwald writes, it's virtually impossible to find any media outlet calling the attacker a terrorist or even suggesting that it might be terrorism. To the contrary, the suspected killer overnight has been alternatively described as a gentle soul or a mentally ill loner. And again, this kind of goes against uh, just the way things are skewed in the media and how uh, Certain people are labeled one way for an action and others are not. And a lot of it is based on their bodies at the end of the day. And it's just been a narrative in a certain way. And it's like we can't have, you know, it's like you can't have things. It, it's just, it's very hypocritical. I find it's extremely hypocritical. So I did want to end on a high note. And we'll be playing a cover version of War Pigs uh, uh, after this. Um, but there was a comedian who really went, in, went after uh, Congress uh, about their lack of uh, movement on, in terms of the, with 
getting rid of firearms, or at least getting background checks, which is not even getting rid of firearms. It's more like just ensuring that folks who are on watch lists don't have access. It's like, I can't even talk about it because it's so ridiculous that that's even an issue. So I wanted to play uh, his piece because he's very, uh, he definitely has the anger and there's a lot of that righteous anger. So I wanted to share this with everybody. Almost $200,000 a year to write rules. You make almost $200,000 a year to write rules to make our society better. Not tweet, not tell us about your thoughts and prayers, to write rules to make our society better. You know, we look to you guys as our leaders. And ultimately it comes down to money and influence. And right now, since 1998, the NRA has given $3.7 million to Congress. There are 294 sitting members of Congress that have accepted contributions from the NRA, and that doesn't even include the millions of dollars from outside lobbying. If we raise $4 million, would you guys take that to save lives? And is, is this what you want your legacy to be? That you were a could-have-done-something Congress, but you didn't because of outside lobbying? That you were complicit in the deaths of thousands of Americans? And look, I, I know being a member of Congress is hard. You gotta placate your base, you gotta look out for re-election, you gotta answer to lobbyists. But please, persevere, because our thoughts and prayers are with you. Good night. All right, and that was Hassan Minhaj. Uh, so right on for that, and right on for all comedians and everyone speaking the truth and bringing politics into, into their comedy and uh, making the political personal and vice versa. That's one way of getting the, the message across. So we're going to be wrapping up the show here. Again, huge thank you to Bonnie Johns and Alan Kismorio for coming in on the show. Again, Queer as Fuck is happening at Bindlestiff, and you can check it out. I'll be in it uh, next Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Doors open at 7.30 p.m. Show is at 8. If you want to go see it on Thursday, there's a special code you can use to get in for just $10, and it's yay queers, exclamation point. And you can find that out. Just type in Queer as Fuck and Bindlestiff, and you'll find Find that information online. Also, want to promote a show I'm in tonight uh, at the Ninth Street Independent Film Center, and that is also at 8 p.m. And that is called Two Play, and it's an improv show. Uh, it's called the Two Play Improv Extravaganza. It's for Pride. It's uh, LGBTQ improvisers and allies. And again, that show is at 8 p.m. And it's at the Ninth Street Independent Film Center at 145 Ninth Street. So come check that out. Uh, really much looking forward to that. I'll be performing with Sean Geary. Also performing will be Diana Brown and Marcus Sams, uh, Casey Trujillo and Abel Christian. And I'll be performing with Sean Geary. And the host is the wonderful uh, Natasha Muse. So please do come check that out. And wrapping up, as I promised, uh, a cover version of... So War Pigs has pretty much been on my... That's just been uh, in my mind, in my head, for the last few days since I saw this petition to get to be the national anthem. And I still think that would be dope. And uh, ironic, of course, since it's a British band. But you know how things go. Uh, The lyrics you can't really argue with. Although my one contention with the lyrics is uh, comparing uh, folks in Congress to witches. And I've met a lot of folks who are witches, and they're pretty awesome people. 
so you know that's my one my one comment with the song that i'm like hmm. but anyway yeah uh, and i think it's definitely is a correlation if we live in a society that really values the military and values weaponry and going abroad and killing people many of whom happen to be queer then why wouldn't the same thing happen here uh, domestically so with that being said here's faith no more local band san francisco uh with their cover of war pigs have a wonderful weekend everyone and we'll be back next week
darkness world stops turning This is where the body's burning No more war pigs have the power Hand of God has struck the hour Day of judgment God is calling of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, 
MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening, 